going to have to sell the cattle ranch. How much? $200,000. Oh. I've got to pay my father-in-law $10,000. Oh, why not buy insurance? Decisions, decisions. Oh, pay me. Lawyer's salary, please. There's a game called Life that's really worth living. You and your family have got to play it. Where will your choices take you in the game of life? What job will you choose? Let's start filling my law firm with clients and stop filling your faces with donuts. Now get out! I'm definitely going to be a lawyer. But watch out for life surprises. Whoa, I'm having twins. Congratulations, it's twins. Anything can happen in the game of life from Hasbro Gaming. Life surprises, twins. I think uh, Cindy and I can relate because I think she was five months pregnant when we discovered we were having not one, but two. And life does give you those kinds of surprises. So this whole idea of surprises and living life and the game of life, uh, we've been looking at uh, Solomon's personal journey, journal, the inspired word of God, uh, Ecclesiastes, and we've been walking through and seeing what he has to say about living life and living life in light of the end. And all throughout uh, this series, this, there's this reoccurring theme, and he'll say it every once in a while, under the heavens or under the sun, and we've been seeing that under the sun, with the sun, is the way to go. And uh, if you're new to faith, or you're just trying to figure things out, or you're a guest this morning, a family friend, and still trying to figure out how faith even intersects with life, uh, Solomon realizes a little too late that he was living life under the sun, full life, everything going his way, every benefit possible, yet it was without the sun. It was without a connection with God. And he writes later on, or we actually read about it maybe in the last couple weeks, the fact that he says living life under the sun is only possible when you're connected with the sun. And really, we saw that even in some of the stories we heard from baptism, uh, that uh, this idea of having faith, of being connected with God, brings meaning to this life under the sun, with the sun. Now, if you're, again, just joining us, uh, you can catch up. Cindy already mentioned that. A number of ways to do that online. And for those of you who are listening right now online or on a CD, uh, just a reminder that listening online is fantastic, but uh, you missed a great baptism this morning. So being here in person is even uh, better, so uh, don't forget that. So we're looking at things today in chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes, and we're kind of looking at a different angle and applying it to this idea, this thing of the game of life. And I don't know about you, uh, have you ever played the game of life? A few of you out there? It's not as, you know, out there as much, but uh, believe it or not, you know, this is the things pastors do. I was doing research on the game of life, and it first came on the scenes in 1860. Not 1960, 1860. And, uh, you know, so this game's been around for a little while, as you saw, it had little different cuts, different... Uh, uh, ways. It was interesting. I was saying to Cindy, it's interesting that the, the older commercial, you know, had the family together. The next commercial, no mom and dad around. It was just the kids, you know, and things that continue to change. But, uh, you know, when it comes to games, I'm really not the kind of person that loves board games. How, how many of you out there love board games? All right, a few of you. How many of you are like, no, thank you? 
I'm kind of a no thank you board game person. Uh, so, you know, it's really hard. Uh, uh, today, uh, the girls, uh, the twins are coming for uh, lunch, supper tonight, and they're bringing their boyfriends, and I'm sure there'll be board game time, and I'm just not really into it, but I've still got to put on a good first impression, so I'll play the games, and, and hopefully I'll win. Um, but anyway, um, that, that's probably the real reason I have to win, and so I don't like playing games because I don't always win. But anyway, but, uh, you know, I, I get these snarky jabs, you know, when it's time to play a game, you know. Uh, the first one is stop cheating, you know, because, you know, I, 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 I tend to want to win. So uh, uh, an, another one of those is, you know, uh, put your phone away. Sometimes you can find the answer to some of those games on your phone. They, they caught that really quickly, especially when I said it exactly the way the card said it. But anyway, you know, put your phone away. Um, another one, uh, this, has, uh, this has great uh, disbelief and I wouldn't say anger, but just disgust is this one. It's your turn because I'm kind of like, you know, just there. It's your turn again. It's your turn again. So I've kind of drifted off. And then uh, this other one that goes right along with that, are you playing? No, are you playing right now? Or are you going to play the game? And, uh, you know, the, these all really come down to, except maybe the first one, about engagement. Are you going to be engaged in playing this board game? And really, that is what Solomon is saying all through the book of Ecclesiastes. He even says in the book of Proverbs. He even says it in the uh, Song of Solomon, the three books that we have of his, and in in these journals. And he says, you know, we need to be engaged. And the question we're kind of trying to deal with as we look at chapter 4, we're just going to hit a few points in chapter 4, is this idea is it's the game of life and it's your turn. It's the game of life, and it's your turn. No matter who you are, you're living this thing called life, and it's your turn. It's it's in your hands. And Solomon goes, I'm at the end of my life, and I'm writing Ecclesiastes, and I realize that during the game of life, it being my turn, I wasn't really engaged with this concept of under the sun with the sun. I kind of missed that. I, I, I played, I cheated a little bit maybe, I did all these things, but it really when it came to being my turn, I started off in a certain place, a good place, and when it came to my connection, my integration of faith into everyday life, the simple things, that's one of the things we've been talking about. It's just not the future, it's just not the past. It's being present in the moment. And this idea of it's your turn. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at five areas, five environments that kind of connect with a game, or at least from my perspective, uh, connect with a game. And uh, we're going to look at this, the game of life, it's your turn. Now we've been looking at a lot of what Solomon has written in Ecclesiastes, his personal journal. And now I, I want to bring in a new verse, a different verse from the Newer Testament, some words from Jesus. And he is talking again about life, and he's talking about uh, not necessarily the game of life, that's how we're kind of uh, bracketing it in, but he's talking about just life in general. And, and this is what he has to say, and I think it mirrors what Solomon is trying to get across to us. And it's this, what I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can't respond to God's giving. 
And in our day and age, a lot of us need to take a deep breath and relax and to decompress. Our world travels fast. We add to the speed of it. And Jesus is saying, enjoy the moment, enjoy life under the sun, enjoy the good times, expect difficult times, but relax. And don't be so preoccupied with all that's going on, all that's going on around you, that that you don't necessarily respond to all that, that God has given you already. It doesn't mean settling. It doesn't mean not having ambition, a a righteous ambition. It doesn't mean uh, complacency. But sometimes we're so preoccupied with the next thing that we're not present in the moment. And that can even happen when we're playing uh, board games. We're thinking about the next thing. We're thinking, well, I've got to move along to whatever. And, and we miss that God is giving us something very simple, something very nice, something not complicated, and we need to enjoy God's giving. People who don't know God, those who have not said yes to God, don't have a relationship with God, don't really have a connection with Him, it's not knowing about God, it's about knowing God, being in relationship, uh, you know, you get confused about these things. And those who, uh, and the way he works, fuss over these things. And sometimes you and I can know God, we've entered into relationship with God, but we become so preoccupied with all this other stuff, the game of life, uh, we miss that it really is in our hands, it really is our turn, and we fuss over a lot of things that we really don't need to fuss over. But we've got caught up with that. So Psalm is going to talk about five different areas. And uh, the first area, let's see if we can figure this out. Always remember to forgive and forget. Sorry. You hit me, I'll get you back. The game of sorry. Slide, switch, and bump your way home before someone makes you. Sorry. And sends you back. Do we understand? Sorry. You hit me, I'll get you back. Sorry. You know, when I think about the game sorry, at first, you know, my impression was, you know, I was sorry that I kind of like sent somebody back. You ever played that game, you know, and you kind of land on them and you send them back to the beginning and you say sorry or you get the right card and you send them back and you kind of go, sorry. But as I really thought about it, honestly, I'm never really sorry. I actually say sorry like, sorry. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, I'm happy I nailed them. I'm happy I, I'm not really sorry. And maybe the person on the other side receiving it, they're sorry because they're getting sent back, and now they got all their, their pieces are back in home. But this, this idea of sorry, sorry can be a, like a brutal, violent game. It can be, you know, it's like, it's like you know, you're just really going for it. Uh, you don't want to play board games with me. But, you know, I just, I just want to win, and I'm like, you know, like, you know, I want to send you back. I, you know, and I just don't want to win by a little. I want to, like, destroy the other opponent. So, so sorry really isn't like a compassionate game. And that, that really brings us to this problem. The problem is no comfort. And Solomon sees this in the real game of life, the real world. Now, all of us have this kind of thing happen to us to some degrees. Uh, some of us have experienced just a, just a heaviness and a, uh, an oppression, just a, just a hard thing, an injustice that's just been huge, or, or we've experienced just a little bit, or, or it's been at our hands to some degree. And, and Solomon writes about this. This is what he writes. He writes, And I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. 
I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they had no comforter. It's interesting that Solomon actually writes this because Solomon is king. Solomon has all the power, and he can say, off with your head if you, if you mess with him. He has it all, but, but he got to a place where he was just so frustrated at the human condition that no matter how good, no matter how whatever, this just kind of seems to, to creep out that there's, there's people out there that uh, have more power than somebody else, and it may just be a little more power, and they seem to, to, to oppress the other person, and, and they have no comfort, and the person just feels just, just wow, it's just, it's just real heavy. Power was on their side of the oppressors, and they had no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. In other words, he says, some of these oppressive situations are so heavy and so hard, it's better to avoid them and not even be alive. And then he goes on and says, better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. We all have extreme stories of this. We all have lighter stories of this. But the person that's oppressed, uh, some of us have, have watched recently over the, you know, the last few months, and we find someone, and we mentioned this, I think, in a previous message, uh, someone who uh, has been in prison for like 10, 15 years, and then they do some DNA new tests, and they find out that person should never have been there. And you go, wow, wow. So there's this, there's this idea that Solomon sees this. He, he sees the game of sorry. He sees that there's, there's no comfort. And it just, it just it makes life under the sun, even with the sun, difficult. But it's real. It's not uh, playing games. It's not a health and prosperity kind of thing. No God, follow God, and, and no bad things, no hard things can touch you. You see, Solomon sees the oppression and exp I can say this word, exp thank you, of others. He sees the pain and sorrow, and he sees the apathy. He sees, he sees people that have the power to comfort don't always do that. They, they seem to turn the heat up. Sometimes I have the power not to put that sorry card down and send the person all the way back. I do it anyway. <laughs> Apathy. And, 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 and this, this just weighs heavy on Solomon. And so we have to ask ourselves, what, what do we do with that? How do we interact with this? How do we interact with the person that's oppressed? Or how do we interact when we feel like we're being oppressed and we're under it and we feel like we're a doormat uh, jesus jesus when he saw those without comfort those that were oppressed this this is what he says in matthew 9 36 37 when he saw the crowds i love the fact that he saw he saw them sometimes you and i go through life and we don't even see them Jesus sees them. And the question for us, and it's not to make us guilty, but it's to make us just to be aware, do we see those that need comfort, that need compassion? 
Or have we conditioned ourselves not even to see that? Sometimes for self-protection, I, I don't want to see them because I don't want to have to figure out what I need to do or not need to do. Uh, I, I, I just don't want to, I don't, I won't want to get involved. Well, sometimes I do, but, but sometimes I, I don't, I don't want to see them. Jesus sees them. Now remember, Jesus didn't take care of everything, but Jesus saw the crowds, and his first response was compassion. His first response is not, why are you bothering me? You got yourself into this mess. Why don't you take care of it yourself? Uh, you know, I could have seen this coming. It, it was compassion. He had compassion on them because they were harassed. That word harassed actually has the idea behind it of being filleted. Not disgusting, but that's what that word is tied to, the idea of being filleted. They were harassed. And there's people in our world that, are, in a sense, are being filleted. And what do we do? Do we have compassion or not? Are we just sorry and we just kind of move on? And helpless. Helpless is the idea of if you were in the middle of uh, one of these big lakes over here and there was a huge storm blowing across and you were just out there maybe with a little life preserver and you're bobbing around. You're helpless. You, you have no, you can swim, kick all you want and, and you're just at at the mercy of where the wind is blowing you. You're helpless. He saw them as, as sheep without a shepherd, without, a, without someone to guide them, without someone to, to step in. I have to ask you something. If, if you're feeling right now like you're harassed and helpless, just like these that follow the Lord into baptism said, I'm following Jesus, I, I would say that, that when you say yes to Jesus, when you move in his direction, not in a snap of the fingers, but when you move in the direction, you can find that you don't have to be harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd, like a lamb without a guide. He, he wants to guide you. Uh, a couple of the people in their stories, uh, as the younger kids said, he, he guides me. He, he, he's there for me. We don't have to live this way. So when Jesus sees, he just doesn't say sorry with a snarky little, <laughs> sorry. You know, he, he, he has compassion. So we can be on the receiving side of that compassion. Or we can be on the giving side of that compassion. See, this game of life, we have those options. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And what he's saying is there's lots of people that need compassion. There's lots of opportunities to demonstrate compassion. And the workers are few. And that just that breaks his, it breaks his heart because we need work. That, that's, that's the beauty of being a part of a local assembly of Christ followers, a church. Because together... We can do more because the workers are few. The workers are few. And the harvest is plentiful. There's plenty of people out there. Came across this idea this week and thought it was interesting. Uh, Jesus wants to comfort the unnecessarily troubled and trouble the unjustifiably comforted. Think about that. 
Think about that. Some of the reason you and I may stay away from God, those of us who have already said yes, those of us who have gone public with our faith, is because, because we, we don't want to, don't want to uh, have compassion. We don't want the current of our life to be upset. We, we want to play it safe. We want to kind of live our own life and, and not get involved. And, and we kind of are thankful that we're okay with God. God's okay with us, and, and we're all set, and we can kind of just navigate life around. But in those cases, I hate to tell you this, if you've said yes to Christ, if God has joined your life, if the Holy Spirit is a part of your life, he is going to make you uncomfortable if you're unjustifiably comfortable. He doesn't want they mean he doesn't want things to go good for you. He doesn't want to turn up the heat for just turning up the heat's sake. But if you and I are just living comfortable to ourselves lives, not making a difference, not having that even on our radar, he wants to make us uncomfortable. He wants to trouble us. But the person that's troubled, he wants to bring comfort into their lives. Think on that this week. Another game. Jenga, 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 Jenga. You take a block from the bottom and you put it on top. You take a block from the middle and you put it on top. That's how you build a tower, you just don't stop. You gotta build that tower putting blocks on top. And it teeters and it totters as you build it all up. It weebles and it wobbles, but you don't give Jenga boom. Now, a whole new way to play Jenga. Race against your opponent to avoid toppling the tower before it goes John Deere, sorry, couldn't find one. Just normal Jenga wasn't enough. They had to come up with Jenga Boom, and then some boys and their toys had to do like real man Jenga, right? <laughs> I had to show that to you. So I was going with, I was thinking about showing you Operation, but I thought that, you know, that was better. So, so the idea of Jenga, uh, the idea of uh, stress, and Jenga is a game of stress. And uh, if you're playing seriously and someone bangs the table, you flip out, right? Because they just ruined it for you, you know? If, if so, yeah, it's, just, it's just stressful. And uh, he, he, Solomon sees the stress of achieving and, and more and more and more. You got regular Jenga, you got explosive Jenga, and now you're playing Jenga with like real heavy equipment because just, you just need more. And uh, in verses 4 through 6, we read this. And I saw that all the toil, toil, all the things people do, 
And all the achievements spring from one person's envy of another. This, too, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. They, they do nothing. They don't engage. But better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and a chasing after the wind. And what he's getting at here is we have, we, we almost, in a sense, it's our turn, and we create, a lot of us create more stress than we actually really need. Uh, we chase after the wind. Some of us have chased after the wind and give up, and we just fold our hands. Um, other of us have one in the hand, but choose not to enjoy tranquility in the other hand. We need to fill the other hand up. And we find that it's a chasing after the wind. And again, when Solomon says this, he says this from experience. Solomon, he had it all. And go back and listen. He, he had everything. So, so he could have, his one handful was more than our both hands will ever be. And yet he saw that when he had one handful and went to fill the other one, it was a chasing after the wind. There's something about tranquility. There's something about peace. There's something about, uh, you know, our inside, our, our being, our, our inner life. But yet we, we, we put more stress on us. Now, sometimes stress is put on us. But this really is about the driven person that just is just going for it, going for it, going for it, going for it. And, uh, you know, I meet people, and sometimes I'm that person myself. The stress in my life I've created because I've tried to fill the second hand. I just don't want one hand. I want both hands. And some of you, some of you have gotten in business deals. Some of you have taken that extra thing on. Some of you have, whatever that is, and, and you, you didn't need to do that, and you're missing tranquility. And there's a time in life where, like Solomon, we, we come to our senses and we go, wow, wow, tranquility is a wonderful thing. Sometimes in our life, and th this may come back to haunt me a little bit, but sometimes in my life, you know, we're going, we're going, we're going, we're going, we're going, and all of a sudden there's a, there's a new opportunity to, to do something, to be with somebody, and it's going to cost a little bit of money or whatever. And, and there's sometimes I say to Cindy, I'd rather pay double that and just not go stay home so i'll pay to not go out to dinner instead of go out to dinner you know because it's just it's just crazy we we bring that on on ourselves uh, stress love what jesus says in matthew eleven twenty eight. he says are you tired worn out burned out on religion if you go back and look at the first few verses of chapter 11, you're going to see that Jesus is dealing with these Pharisees, these religious people that were, that were putting unbelievable pressure on the people to, to make them do and don't and all this kind of stuff, and it was just weighing the people down. There's actually this idea that they would put all these rules and regulations on everybody else, and they didn't live them themselves. So Jesus is just, in a sense, coming unglued. How can you do this? You're supposed to be shepherds. You're supposed to come alongside, and they're not doing it. So that's why you see Eugene Peterson uh, put this context into his paraphrase here. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. 
recover, replenish. Sometimes I'm too busy to get away with him. And he's, he's saying, no, 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 wait a minute. If you really need to replenish, you need to come away with him. Spend time with him. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. If we were to take time and look in those first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we would see that Jesus had a rhythm to life. He was active, but he wasn't stressed. How did he do that? He had a rhythm, and, and I, I like to read through those first four books every year and, and just digest his rhythm for life. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I will lay, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. That yoke, those yokes were designed for the ox that would, would have them, and they wanted them to fit right, or they'd be chafing. And, and Jesus doesn't want to put anything on us that, that chafes. That doesn't mean it's not going to stretch us, it's not going to keep us comfortable all the time, but, but it fits or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I mean, I want that. I don't know about you. I don't know if I always want the work, the investment to get that. I'll, I'll actually spend my time doing other things, being active, getting things done, whatever. No, stop and spend time with me. Rick Warren says, the difference between blessed and stressed is getting rest. And there's physical rest, spiritual rest, emotional rest, relationship rest. You may have drama queen people in your life. You may need rest from them. Not ignore them, but rest from them. And then obviously, uh, spiritual rest. The game of life. It is your turn. It's not the person sitting next to you's turn. It's not your boss's turn. It's not your background's turn, the, the upbringing you had. It's not the bad marriage's turn. It's not that kid's turn. It's not that financial disaster turn. It's your turn. It's my turn. What are you going to do with it? Let's pray. Father, as we just think about the thoughts that come into mind when we're talking about such subjects, uh, oppression, unfairness, stress. We're thankful that you offer yourself to us. Uh, you don't, again, force yourself onto us. You offer yourself to us. And I just ask that each one of us, wherever we're at, whatever next step is for us when it comes to this life, 
they'd help us just to take that step. For somebody here, it might be coming back next Sunday, hearing the rest of this message. For somebody else, it might be letting something go that, they were, that they've known they need to let go for for years. It may mean embracing something. It may mean pulling back from something. Or maybe it means pulling back from something and, and, and leaning into something else, whatever it may be. We're thankful that you offer yourself. You offer yourself to help us to see the rhythms for life so that we can experience rest from stress and rest from the heaviness of unfairness. And some of us may realize that unfairness has come at our hand. We've been the unfair one. We've been the oppressor. I pray that we'd realize it's our turn. Maybe not our turn to make a big statement, just to start to live differently now. We're thankful that we don't come to these moments alone, but we come to them with you. If there's anyone who hasn't said yes to you, hasn't place their trust in you, that you died for them and rose again, that even in this moment they would come to you in faith. Just like Brandon said recently, I said yes to Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.